Hey, welcome to the new voting project. My name is Kunal, your host, back at it again. Um, and today we're here with Jaime Zapeta, um, a candidate for state senate in California's District 10. Um, Zapeta, you're on the board of Citizen Schools California, which is a nonprofit after-school program for low-income students. Um, you're an advisor and organizer for the National Immigration Law Center, um, Bay Area Community Services, Ruby's Place, Students Rising Above, and the Small Business School Challenge. Um, you've also been an organizer in many campaigns that may sound familiar, President Joe Biden, President Barack Obama, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and Oakland mayoral candidate Joe Tooman. Um, thank you so much, Jaime, for taking the time to be with us. I know campaigning can be uh, extremely hectic sometimes. Um, but yes, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me, Kano. Of course, of course. So yeah, let's dive in. Um, just for our viewers, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about your campaign, um, previous experiences, obviously you've been very politically engaged, maybe your background, how you got started, um, and your inspiration to run. Yeah, absolutely. So I think all those can be answered by how I grew up and uh, tell you a little bit about my story. So I grew up in a working class family in Mexico. I was in Mexico for the first 17 years of my life. And I was in a working class family that we didn't have a lot, but we were constantly out there serving the community. We'd be out there, you know, cutting the hair of people on the street for free. We'd be feeding people that were in jail. We'd be, you know, teaching adults in some of the poorest areas of the community. We'd be teaching adults how to read and how to write. And so we always had this sense of service. It was largely based on my mom and dad having grown up in some of the poorest parts of Mexico. So they knew what scarcity and struggle was like. And then I got a lucky break. I got accepted to college and that was my, you know, one way ticket to the Bay area. Right. Um, I had also spent some time when I came here to the United States, I came here alone. I came here as a teenager and I was like thousands of miles away from everyone and everything that I knew. And as a teenager, I had a very different, uh, experience than most people in high school because I was actually, I had my own apartment. I had to pay bills. I had to pay rent and I had to have work a full-time job. And so I was a janitor. I was a line cook and I was also going to the school during the day. I was taking high school classes during the day. Um, unfortunately it wasn't enough. So I was like poor and I was in debt for like years. And then that's when I was able to kind of break that by making my way over to the Bay Area because I was accepted to college. I was accepted to St. Mary's College in Moraga. And ever since then, I've been in the Bay Area for nearly 20 years now. Um, I am constantly trying to find ways to serve the community. And as you mentioned, some of those things that I've worked on, I've been advisor to numerous nonprofits. I'm on the board of you know, one of the biggest after-school programs in uh, the country. I am also have been a, a small business executive for a mission oriented organization that was focused on helping transform and revolutionize fortune 500 companies to be good stewards of their community and to treat their employees with fairness and with respect all while still making, you know, a decent profit. Like you could do all of it, right. If you really wanted to. And the reason that I'm running is because of that spirit of service my story of struggle and also the stories of numerous people that I see that I work through, you know, these organizations who are experiencing homelessness, undocumented immigrants, survivors of domestic violence, kids who are, you know, in poorer areas where they're not getting 
as great of an education as everybody else, I'm seeing how like the pandemic has just made all of these things so much worse. Like the the gap that was there between those that had and those that didn't is just becoming a chasm right now. And I don't hear that sort of conversation being talked about right now. There's a lot of conversation around, oh, well, let's get back to normal. But normal wasn't good enough for like a lot of people. Like there was even recently, I think last week, a study that came out, uh, I think it was on the, on the Mercury News, that said that right now, one out of every three families in California cannot afford basic necessities, uh, like food, medicine, rent, all those things. And that's a much higher number than previously expected, right? People say, oh, you know, our poverty rate is, is one of the worst in the country, but it's not that bad. Now it's like, it's like a third of people who are like on the brink of losing it all. And so that's why I'm running, because I want to bring that voice and I want to bring that spirit of service uh, to Sacramento. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's quite a story. I, yeah, I'm glad you made it out though. Um, Thank you. You touched on attending, I think, St. Mary's College here in the Bay Area. And I think you also have an MBA from the Haas School of Business over here in UC Berkeley. Um, yeah. So kind of touch upon how, you know, college prepared you kind of for your day job now, and I guess running for, for state senate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think college is, well, college for me was a, was a very fun time. Um, for anybody out there that's listening right now who's in college, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For anybody that has already graduated, I'm sure there's some some pictures that we don't pe want people to see of the things that we did in college. Um, I, I went to college right around the time when Facebook started coming out, so there are some some pictures, but not all of them, uh, of me uh, having way too much fun. And um, but it's a great time because you know you get to <laughs> you know you get to explore, you get to figure out what is interesting to you. And for me, I, I very quickly found out that uh, I was really interested in being involved in civics and, and I was civically engaged in politics. And, you know, like I mentioned, my family was kind of always involved in that way. My mom in particular was always involved in local politics. She would be organizing the neighborhood to register people to vote, to go out and, and vote and to, you know, do all these community events. Uh, she was doing that. She was a stay-at-home mom, but really, like her full-time job was she was a community organizer in many ways. I, I I was always following her around and obviously trying to help out. But I think it was in college where I decided to like step up and say I want to do this for myself too. And so in college, I started the first political club on campus in the history of of St. Mary's College. Um, that led to a lot of other you know clubs there to to make sure that students were engaged. Uh, I got to explore politics and economics and sociology, which I found to be incredibly interesting. And in many ways, that then launched me right after college to then seek out and work for then Senator Barack Obama and helping him uh, in his first presidential race, mm -hmm. which was really fun. So I was, I was an organizer uh, for the 10th Congressional District at the time from 2007 to 2008. So I got to be a part of that amazing ride, you know, in my own way. And in college was just like a great opportunity to kind of figure myself out a little bit more, figure out what I liked, what was interesting to me, and then start to connect with people that were kind of like that too, right? Start to connect with people that, you know, kind of geeked out about the same things that I geeked out about. And, and you know, those are people that I still talk to to this day. 
both at St. Mary's and then in my time at Berkeley uh, for business school, like those are some of my best friends still to this day. You know, they've been part of my wedding. I talk to them regularly. I think college and just sort of the school overall has that, it gives you the opportunity, right? To find your, find your community, your tribe in some way. And uh, that was definitely part of my experience. Yeah, that's great to hear. I'm applying to college, so I'm like yeah. anxious to see that part of what it is. But right now it's like pure hell. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it's but I mean, it, it's going to be fun. I think it's a really fun time, uh, especially if you go at it uh, with the idea of exploring, right? If yeah. I like and just making the most out of it. It's, it's exactly. a great opportunity. Exactly. Um, and so kind of moving towards your campaign, right? Your candidacy. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your core values. You know, what are your policy objectives? What are you trying to accomplish? Let's say, hypothetically, you know, you're a state senator. What's the first thing you're going to do? Yeah, absolutely. So as a state senator, you know, I would love the opportunity to work on some of the major issues that I see right now in my community, as well as across the state. And that is, you know, working families need a lot of support short term and in the long term. Right. And what I mean by that is that we need to be really focused on lifting working families, working people, young people who are starting out their professional career, because right now it is incredibly tough to make it work in the Bay Area. It is incredibly tough. And I don't have to tell you this because, you know, you've been here and you've seen it, too. But to afford to just even stay here and that's just just to stay here. What about, you know? earning more income, you know, having more opportunities to do what you want to do, having a career that can grow with you rather than kind of stagnate you in some way. And it's something that is very um, important in poorer families. You know, I've seen this in the work that I've done and then in my own time when I was, you know, really barely getting by is the idea of generational wealth is, uh, so under under appreciated right now, right? Because you have you have income. That's the money you make. Wealth are things that they grow over time. They're assets. They're they're investments that then ideally you can pass it on to the next generation in your family. Right now, that's not happening for a lot of families in California. Um, I, I saw a study recently that said, you know, in California and in the United States overall. It takes a poor family at least five generations to get out of poverty. So if you have, if you, if your family's poor right now, right, um, maybe 200 years from now, you might be middle class. Like your great, 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 great grandkids might be middle class. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like we're, the, we're one of the least socially mobile uh, countries, uh, developed countries in the world. So that's number one. That's something, and that's that's particularly prevalent in California. We have some of the worst income inequality and wealth inequality of the entire country here in California. Number two is investment in communities and in small businesses. Investing in the infrastructure of a community, parks, roads, you know, the things that really liven up a community, community centers, job training centers, things that really can spark, you know, a community to to uh, uh, be revitalized. And then also in small businesses, which because of that pandemic were really hit hardest out of all businesses, right? Because when you're a small business, you can't weather these sort of storms as well as a big Amazon-like business, right? You just don't have the reserves. 
you don't have the funding sources, you don't have uh, opportunities for capital. So then many of them kind of shut down. And what happens when you have a lot of small businesses that close, then all those people that had, that had their jobs there, they have to find a new job somewhere else. Where are they going to find it? Probably at a big chain, a big company. And what does that do then? That, that lowers their, their uh, power as an employee. Because then, you know, all of these people, all of these resources, all of these customers then go to much bigger companies. And that's why we have so many problems around monopolies, right, of, of just companies that are taking over because they can weather these sort of storms. So I, like, really believe that we need to prop up our small businesses and help them out so much more than we are right now. Um, the other one would be is I think that the issue that, that everybody needs to be thinking about every day, which is climate change. We need to be much bolder as a state on the things that we can do to fight climate change and to create a true green economy for all of California. There's a lot of things that we can do right now that are not, you know, that may seem um, like you, you might not know what the impact of that is, but they have huge impacts. Like, for example, we have some of the most uh, trafficked ports in the world. You have Long Beach, you have Oakland, right? We need to have those ports powered by clean energy because they are just burning through a lot of energy. Most of it is not clean. Most of it is, it turns into pollution. The other things that we need to do is we need to make sure that we're electrifying and powering by green, uh, uh, clean energy, any new infrastructure that we build in California moving forward. Buildings, roads, bridges, tolls, like that needs to be a statewide thing. Right now, some cities do it, like some cities have building codes, right, that say, okay, any new building needs to be powered X amount of percentage by clean renewable energy. Many of them don't. I think we need to, we need to tackle that at the state level. And the fourth one would be um, is dark money and big business money. I mean, that needs to get out of Sacramento. It's just, it just, I don't see how any politician that says that they really want to put the public interest first, especially any Democrat that says that. Uh, can take money from big businesses, corporate PAC money, can take money from like PG&E right now, based on what's going on, or can take dark money that's going on. So dark money is a very real thing in California. So I don't know, you know, how much of this you've discussed in like your podcast, but um, dark money is sort of like the new way where uh, uh, politicians can get whatever money they want without being any sort of, they're, they're any paper trail, right? They'll set up a nonprofit that is, closely affiliated or really even set up, propped up by that politician, that elected official. And because it's a nonprofit, they don't have to report out on who donates or the amount. And so then that money can then be independently spent for that candidate or that politician, and nobody will know where it came from, the amount of money, nothing is totally dark. And that is, quote unquote, legal right now in California. I believe it is very unethical. And so I think we need to change that. And so that's why in my campaign, I've started from the very beginning is I'm not taking any dark, dark money. I'm not taking any corporate PAC money and I'm not taking any big business money or oil money because I want to make sure that I'm able to make the tough calls and have political courage when it comes to these sort of big issues. Right. Yeah. Those are all pretty, pretty detailed progressive values. I know clean money is, uh, I just had uh, Janini on my show um, and she also talked about um, yeah. yeah, yeah, she's great. Um, I see a lot of resemblance. Um, yeah, we're working together because I, I, I'm rooting for her. 
I'm yeah. rooting for her. And, and uh, you know, she's got a tough race. She's got a really tough race ahead of her. Very tough race. Yeah. Um, let's kind of talk about last year, you know, 2020, extraordinarily yeah. different, you could say, from, from any year I've ever experienced. Um, what would you say you learned from the 2020 elections? Um, you know, and what solutions should we as the next generation of voters, candidates, you know, look to implement? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, in, uh, in regard to the 2020 elections in particular, I believe that we need to realize that that democracy is not a given and that that the health of a democracy is not something that just naturally progresses and stays there you know just because it's always been there and i think like the election of 2020 was a great example of that because as we all remember we all had this this growing anxiety of what is the election going to be like when there's already talks of fraud and your votes won't count and all this stuff right that came from the right and then we, and then the, you know, following months was just all of that to the, to the 11th degree. And then we saw, you know, January 6th, all these things, um, they're signals that tell us that if we're not, uh, if we don't pay attention and if we don't act on these things to make sure that voting rights are protected, democracy is protected, and we take these sort of things very seriously and that we fight for keeping our voting rights, like the things that are unfortunately happening in Georgia and Texas and Florida right now, we need to have those fights because I can tell you, having grown up in Mexico, it's a slippery slope to then there being uh, authoritarianism, just being more and more accepted and us going down that way. I grew up in Mexico. For any, any you know, uh, politics nerds, I'm, I'm one of them. So I'll say that uh, for any politics, uh, political nerds out there, if you know the, the history of Mexico, you know that it's often been called the perfect dictatorship. It is the perfect dictatorship. Is not my words. Uh, it, it's a it's a term in political science. It because from 1910 to uh, the late 1990s, it was run by one party across all levels, local, state, countrywide. But they had elections, okay? They had elections this entire time. And so I say, well, we're a democracy. I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody votes. All the votes are counted. We just happen to have the PRI win every single dang time, right? And it was a perfect dictatorship because everybody thought, well, okay, okay, well, I guess, I guess we do have a democracy. Uh, uh, so, you know, we won't push back on it. That started to change around 1968, 1969. And there was a pushback, there was student protests and all that. And that's sort of when the change started to become, you know, what ended up happening when Vicente Fox became the first president to win, not from that party, the PRI. Um, and I say all this because a lot of the same stuff that I grew up with as, as like the status quo that we just believe, well, that's just how it is, is coming up here, starting to disenfranchise voters, right? Starting to... Uh, Assume that uh, you know anything that's said from politicians, especially like presidential uh, uh, people, 
around fraud must be right, you know? And so then therefore, like we, we can't, we should not, we should not vote because we can't trust the vote because it's all rigged and all these things, you know, like these sort of things just kind of become part of the culture. And then you have a lot of people that are officially disenfranchised, like right now is happening in Georgia and Texas and, and Florida, um, or uh, because of the propaganda from government are essentially told, don't even bother in, in participating in politics. Just, just stay home. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Either it's rigged, so why bother? Or two, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it, right? Don't worry about it. And so then all these people kind of like start stepping back and not voting. And then power concentrates with the people that already have the power, right? And that's the definition of authoritarianism. So that's what we had. We had authoritarian presidents uh, that were elected and and nobody really pushed back on to, on that until many 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 years later. That was after a whole bunch of stuff happened and destroyed. And it's still something that that is within the country itself, right? There's corruption. That's one of the reasons why there's so much corruption in Mexico, because there was absolute power in a lot of ways. And so that's what I'm saying. Like I think for like 2020, that was a lesson, at least for me. It says we can't take this sort of stuff for granted, and if we just kind of like sleep on it and don't kind of put up those fights right when voting rights are being taken away and it they're they're making it harder for some people to vote and they're essentially saying don't bother even voting because it's all rigged and da 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 those are all the same signals that we had in mexico and i'm just uh i want to make sure that we just push back on that right and we don't take that for granted we actually stand up for uh for the democracy that that we we uh we should have right and and on the issue of voting rights you know? yeah just the simple ability to have the right to vote. Um, how important is voting? Um, you mentioned, you know, how authoritarianism can often deter, you know, the general population from from even having the ability to vote. How important is it that people actually cast their ballot, right? And should younger folks, you know, I'm 17, should 16 year olds, 17 year olds have the ability to vote for local elections or statewide elections or even federal elections, you know? Why should yeah. people care about the right to vote? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, John Lewis uh, said it best when he was saying uh, the right to vote is the most powerful nonviolent act that we have. And, you know, I think he is right. And he was obviously someone that was out there on the front lines trying to get voting rights for many that didn't have it at the time. And I believe it. You know, voting is, is how you cast your voice in the decisions that impact your life. That's really it. So voting is if, and so anybody who says, I don't like the, the things they're teaching at school. I don't like how, how well my neighborhood is cleaned up or not. I don't like the things that my leaders are saying on my behalf because they represent my community. Then your vote is how you, how you say that. Now, it's not the only way. It is, it is only the beginning. It is, all like the, it is like the introductory course to democracy, right, to vote. Then you can also be out there and show your strength by protesting, signing petitions, being civically engaged, calling your representatives. I think that's something that uh, having worked, having interned at a congressional office and I'll just also being involved in politics for some time, I can tell you that calling or emailing your elected official, it is super important because most people don't do that. So then those that do, 
you know, those, those elected officials are like, oh, okay, I got four calls today. That means there's like 400 people out there who think the same thing. They just didn't pick up the, the phone to call me. So I got to pay attention to this issue. So that's, that's super important. Um, you know, to your other, to your other questions around, you know, 17 year olds voting and 16 year olds voting is I, you know, absolutely. I definitely think 17 year olds, uh, should vote. Uh, it's something that's already happening right in a lot of states and even here. Um, I think that, that there's an opportunity for us to make it a lot easier to register to vote. And this is not my idea. It's something that they do like in France, for example, is instead of having to go to the DMV to register to vote, which let's be honest, nobody wants to go to the DMV. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it, and you, whenever you have to go to the DMV, you're like, okay, well, I guess that's going to be a half day that I have to spend on the DMV. Nobody wants to do that. What they do in France is instead of having to add one more step to make it harder for younger people to sign up to vote is they use what's already there, which is the school system. You are part of the school system. A whole bunch of people are part of the school system. They have your record. They have your name. They have your, your uh, date of birth. They have all the things they need to register you to vote. So all they need to do is for us to support schools and make it easy for schools and school districts to just say, hey, today, as part of the work that we'll be doing in class, uh, we're having uh, you just kind of sign up to vote. You don't need to do anything. Just kind of go to the cafeteria. We have all your information there. Fill out the form, and then boom, it's ready, and you're set, and you're done. Right, all the information is there, and that's what they do in France. They just like you. We have all of the information we need to sign these young people up to vote. So as soon as you're able to do that, you're already signed up. You don't have to take an extra step to do that, right? Um, and I believe like that's just the beginning. I think we need to start with making it a lot easier for people to register to vote as soon as, well, not even as soon as they're eligible, before they're eligible, so that when they're eligible, they can just vote. And two is Focus much more on getting people civically engaged. Like I said, you know, voting is the is the first step. But then, how do you know how to contact your representatives? How do you know how to navigate the bureaucracy, right? That is government, right? How do you know where your money, where your tax money will be spent? How do you know to voice your your uh, uh, you know opposition to how it's being used? Like how do you, What's the importance of being heard at a local town hall, like a city council meeting? What is the power of a city council? You know, like all those sort of things. You don't know about that until much later on when maybe you have time and now it's something that impacts you. Why do we have to wait so long? Yeah. Why can't we just like do that early on? Because those are decisions that are impacting you and everybody around us right now, right? So I think it's important for us to be civically engaged in addition to uh, voting whenever we can. Right. I, I got started. I emailed a representative. I attended city council meetings. I've attended so many. They totally, there you, go. Me. Um, because, you know, it's, it's how you get started. And then you build a network and connections. And then you're out here doing a podcast every day. <laughs> there you go. There yeah. you go. And then you have, uh, you have Pamela Price, you have uh, Donald Glover, you know, coming on. So yeah, you're, 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 you're setting the way, man. Good friends. Yeah. Uh, and I guess this, this kind of moves into my last questions, um, which are, yeah. you already recommended that young people get involved civically. Um, what else would you advise us to do? You know, Gen Z is, is the term coined for my generation. Um, you know, when it comes to just 
voting, um, the elections, uh, or just trying to be engaged as a whole, what would you recommend we do, right? Because we're the next class, you know, we're like the freshman yeah. class coming into the world, you know, what should we expect? Yeah. Um, I honestly don't have any advice for all of you. Because uh, <laughs> I, I mean it is, I think Gen Z is going to turn out to be one of the most transformational generations that we have. And I say that because y'all already doing it, right? Like, I am, I am constantly inspired by the work that, you know, folks like you and, you know, in your age bracket are just doing right now. Like, you're talking about the right issues. You're, you're, you're out there, you know, speaking up, standing up, you're making your voices heard, you're kind of creating movements. It's amazing. I think you all are, you all, because probably because of when you were born into you saw that there's a whole lot of shit that needs to get fixed, right? Yeah. You know, you're probably, you probably, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, you're like, you're like, we're born. You looked around like, damn, who's going to put out all these fires? Right. And literally uh, there are fires in our county. like, I'm And literally, right? So yeah, y'all came in at, a, at a, just a wild time. But because of that, I think that you picked up on something that, that for people like me, I'm a millennial. Um, and then, you know, the older you go as well, it took us a long time to get to the point where like, okay, stuff is not right. We need to work on this stuff. Like this, who, you know, unfortunately, um, for many people that are probably older that, than you and, and your peers, uh, they look around at the issues and they're like, well, somebody should do something about this. Right. And I think what's different about Gen Z is instead of saying somebody should do something about this, they say, I gotta get to it and I gotta work on this. I gotta I gotta be involved in the in the conversation. I have to I have to do something about this. Right. And so that's what I mean. I don't think I have any advice for all of you all other than keep doing what you're doing. Do don't get discouraged because uh for, for all of you out there that are trying to push for change, are trying to solve some of the issues that are impacting your own lives or that you see impacting the lives of other people around you, don't get discouraged because the, the start is the hardest part. When you start to push back, you start to say, we need to fix this. We need to change that. This is not right. You're initially going to get a whole lot of people that say either you don't know what you're talking about. Cause I hear that all the time too. So, you know, I'm, I'm 38, but I'm talking to people sometimes who are 68 and sometimes they tell me, you don't know what you're talking about. They're like, all right, well, you know, thanks for the advice, but I'm still going to do it. Um, you know, so you say that you don't know what you're talking about, or they say, well, that's just how we've always done. It. Right. That's, you're going to hear that a lot. It's like, well, that's the, that's the way, that's how it's always been. And that is the worst answer for all of these things, right. Possible. Like, oh, we've always done it this way. So, so don't get discouraged when you get that pushback. That simply is telling you that you're on the right track. Whenever people start pushing back on you, based on your ideas or what you think needs to change, that means that you're tapping into something that's real. So I just say, keep moving forward, keep doing what you're doing, find people like you, organize, do things together as a group as much as you can. The bigger the group you have, the more power you have, and just keep doing what you're doing. I think you're all an inspiration to, to really 
all other generations. Yeah, yeah. I like to say I did all of it on my own. Um, and pretty much it was all me, right? It was like that Drake song, all me. I did it all. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. Um, but yes, uh, in regards to your campaign, uh, how can people stay updated on it? You know, contribute, you know, what's what's the best place? Follow you on Twitter if you want to shout out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, you can follow me on all the socials. Uh, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Uh, so it's just my name, Jaime Raul Cepeda, all together. Um, and then if you want to go to our website, you can go to Cepeda for Senate. And you can do either FOR or number four for Senate.com to get more information, to sign up on our email list. Uh, but I'm active on all the socials and, you know, love to talk to anybody that, that's out there that's interested in either, you know, contributing, obviously, because as I mentioned, we're running a people power campaign. We're not taking any corporate PAC money whatsoever. So all of our donations are from people, individuals. So if you want to contribute, we would definitely uh, appreciate that. Also, if you want to follow us, you can do that there. Or if you want to volunteer, you know, we're actually, we're constantly looking for volunteers that can help us with social media they can help us with community outreach they can help us with even like designing you know some of our stuff that we do like flyers and posts all of that stuff we have a lot of work to do so if you're interested in being involved in a campaign that is authentic human and focused on you know helping people right now who need the help the most then i hope that we reach out and and uh, connect with us of course of course and thank you so much um for coming on the show um, you know, adding some insight, your own, I think, very, very unique perspective you brought to the podcast. I do appreciate that. Um, Thanks for inviting I, me. Of course, anytime. And, you know, if if you have the chance of becoming the next state senator of District 10, I'd love to have you back on the show, talk some policy. You know, I have a lot of housing experience where I live. Um, so, yeah, I love anytime it. you want to come back, please do. I love it. And thank you for creating this uh, this space to have these conversations. And I'll appreciate that. Of course, of course. But yes, good luck on the campaign. I do wish you. Thank you. Luck. Yeah, have a Thank great Thank you so time. much. Take care. Bye, everybody.